listening to the Crosscheck NHL Show, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Here are your hosts, Andrew Berkshire and Mary Clark. Welcome to the Crosscheck NHL Show. I am Andrew Berkshire. Mary Clark isn't here, as we told you last week. We have Laura Saba from Locked On Canadians in her stead. It's uh, going to be a good show tonight. Uh, obviously, we didn't have the Tuesday show come out this week. As you can see from my eyes, if you're watching on YouTube, or maybe hear the remnants in my voice, I was not feeling too well earlier this week. It was a bad, bad sore throat, and then I did a COVID test in my very inflamed throat, and my body was like, well, that's not going to happen, and I just dry heaved for like five minutes and blew a bunch of blood vessels in my eyes. So I look like Jeff Petrie from last year's Stanley Cup final, which is fine because the next game between the Colorado Avalanche and the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning is going to be on Jean-Baptiste Day. Arturi Lekkonen likes to score on Jean-Baptiste Day. He's going to score and win the Stanley Cup. (laughs) So just, you know, vibing with the times, bringing the memories of back of the Canadian Stanley Cup run, I'm sure... All Canadians fans listening for Laura will appreciate that. But uh, before we get into our show tonight, where we're going to recap game four, talk a little bit about the NHL awards and talk about some coaching changes. Laura, how's your week been? My week's been great, actually. I was kind of wondering how you would feel. Uh, I know, you know, I did see you last week and you looked fine. And then all of a sudden you were really, really sick. But I'm glad you're on the mend. I'm glad it's turning around. Um, and I'm, I'm happy to be here today. I'm happy to have you, as always. Uh, you know, Laura and I are great friends for a very, very long time now. Uh, we actually, I think Mark Dumas, our mutual friend, was debating whether or not he'd known, we'd known each other longer than myself and Mark had known each other. And we were <laughs> like, Mark, no, you you came in after. <laughs> yeah. Laura is one of the OGs. I'm the OG, yeah. No, and, and it, you know, it's been now more than 10 years at this point, Um that we, we started working on Eyes on the Prize together and, you know, now we're still working together on podcasting. So that it's, it's an interesting evolution. But yes, Mark, you, I leave you behind in my dust. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I believe Mark came into the picture sometime like midway through 2013, I think. And Laura joined EOTP in November of 2012. And we'd known each other before that because I used to read all of your posts on the active stick blog including the famous uh who you should root for articles that i know you didn't (laughs) want to do this year i didn't do one this year maybe you know what maybe i was cursing the colorado avalanche this whole time maybe maybe that's the thing have you been doing it that long since 2002 it's been a long time (laughs) i think since 2010 probably but it's been a while yeah this is the first year that i didn't do it um I'm sorry. I know I know a couple people asked about it, but it just I, I didn't feel it. You know, I've been doing so much podcasting that I was very focused on the Habs and not the rest of the rest of the league up until around now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Doing five podcasts about the, the Habs every week is a lot, especially when they're not in the playoffs and you just have to focus on drafting and all, all that stuff. And if you haven't checked out Locked on Canadians, Laura and Scott continue to crush it and be, I believe, one of Locked on NHL's most listened to or is the most listened to show during the postseason when the Canadians aren't even playing. They haven't played what two <laughs> months. So yeah. it tells you how hard those two amazing people who I've been friends with for so long work on that show and the great content they produce. So definitely check out Lockdown Canadians. 
you brought us together. So we're only in the top if you include YouTube, where, you know, we are, we are we're a highly you? downloaded show to begin with. We have been very lucky with our listeners. They've been very supportive, but YouTube's kind of brought a whole new group of people. So you can check us out. If you prefer to keep us in your pocket or listen to us in your car, we're available on podcasts. But if you want to watch us on YouTube, you're free to do that as well. It's It's been going interestingly. It's been, you know, we had, we just had a deep dive on Caden Gooley. That was our latest episode. We're going to be talking to a couple of draft eligible prospects that the Habs may have some interest in. That's coming up. So like our our show right now, interestingly enough, without any postseason play, has been still fun to do, still interesting to talk about, still something for us to look forward to recording. And it's just going to keep getting better as we get closer to the draft and as free agency takes place. I think the Habs are poised to to turn things around slowly. And this is the, the very beginning of it. And it's really exciting to capture it. So please check us out because we're having we're having a good time. Yeah. Speaking of Caden Gooley, have you ever watched the video from Elite Prospects that Mitch Brown did? It was like Caden uh, Gooley wakes up every morning and chooses violence. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's he's spectacular. Very <laughs> he's an exciting prospect, to be honest. And the thing is, like, I think, and I know we're going to move on, but I think that one of the things that I think all of us sort of felt when he was first drafted was he's a defensive defenseman. And this kind of, you know, it, it goes into a philosophy that seems old school in this league. Now it's being left behind. But he himself, he's not going to be an offensive dynamo. That's not ever going to be his role. But he's going to be that solid guy who makes the right decisions. And if you pair him with a puck mover, it's going to be really, really good. We've been we've been so impressed with how far he's come over the last couple of years, both in terms of leadership and in terms of the way that he plays. And he's not afraid to throw that body around, but he also wants to be part of the rush. He wants to be part of the transition. He's not a passive defenseman. And I think that's one of the things that the league is moving towards is that it, you have to be aggressive even on defense. And I and, and that doesn't just mean hits. It means aggressive play on the ice, aggressive decision-making, taking risks on the ice. Sometimes it doesn't pay off, but I, I think that's the direction we're all headed in. I mean, look at, look at you know, who won uh, the Norris Trophy. I know we're going to talk about that, but... You know, it's definitely it's it's a new way of playing. So as a Canadians fan, it's been really gratifying to see an old school mentality still select somebody who turns out can be like evolving with the times. Yeah. And I think Caden Gooley's development will be a little bit different under this regime than it would have been under the last regime. Maybe where maybe he'd be a bit more pigeonholed into being the physical guy only. But uh, let's let's talk about the Stanley Cup final, because that's the big story. Right. And. The Avalanche take a overtime win to take a 3-1 commanding series lead back home to Colorado. And yet what everyone is talking about is John Cooper crying after the game that the overtime goal shouldn't have counted. And he didn't even say what the issue was. So there's like three three different things that people Zapruder film analysis of this goal came up with one was that kale mccarr may have possibly touched the puck with a high stick way earlier in the play one is that it might have been possibly a tiny bit offside and another is that the uh colorado avalanche had six people on the ice and that is the most plausible complaint i think from uh john cooper but it's one of those things where like there was nobody on the ice who was involved in the play. It wasn't like there were six attackers. Somebody wasn't off the ice yet. Kadri came on early. They could have whistled it down, but the, the lightning did the same thing on the same shift and had seven guys on the ice. 
They just didn't have the puck. So it's like, I don't know. Where do you land on this, Laura? Is there enough here for you to think they should have looked at that goal and, and called it back? Or are you at a point where you just don't want any more goal reviews? I think, well, that that not wanting any more goal reviews is definitely where I'm at. Um, it has been something that has been a topic of conversation, you know, particularly in this offseason, but even before that. I just want to ask Islanders fans from last year how they feel about this. Um, you know, I, I think that's that's where we're, where I'm at. It, it looks like a sloppy line change to me more than anything else. And you know what? It's in the overtime. You're, you, you've played God knows how many games to get to this point. You're almost at the end. Players are mentally tired, physically tired. You know, it's, it's been a long playoff run. Sloppy line changes will happen. Usually, you know, they'll just... They, they won't result in a goal, so we don't have to talk about them, right? Like, sometimes they'll get caught, and it'll be a too many men. But most of the time, when you're just not clean and crisp about, about getting over the boards and making sure you don't touch the puck when, you know, when someone's trying to come off or something like that, I think it really just wasn't a clean line change. I was looking at, like, the zapruding with the, with, the, with the Kale McCarr high stick and that tiny bit offside. I think that would not have stopped anything that would not have caused a review. I think the too many men was the biggest case that you could possibly have. But even then, I don't necessarily think so. And it's really interesting because I've seen people come down firmly on the fact that it was too many men, not just Tampa fans, just, you know, like journalists looking at this. And then I'll look at it and be like, it just looks like a sloppy line change to me. It just, it, they need to clean that up, right? And and it just, it resulted in a goal. Otherwise, that's the only reason we're talking about it. And I think that John Cooper is very smart. He knows these are the kinds of things that you do. This is the kind of like gamesmanship that you do. Like you're going to, you know, instead of focus on the fact that your team is not playing well and, and is not playing Tampa-like after you've basically railroaded everybody in the last three years, I think he's doing a good job of making that the focus. I don't know if it's to galvanize his team. I don't know if it's to take the focus off the team and ask, you know, like, what's wrong with Vasilevsky? What's, you know, I think, or or the Tampa Bay defensive play. I think it's literally just, I would be mad if I was him, but I don't know that a review would have changed anything. Yeah, I mean, they technically can't review for too many men anyway, so... There's nothing in the rule book to figure that out. I think my perspective is like, I understand that by the definition of the rules that Kadri is not allowed to touch that puck until the person that he changed for is off the ice all the way legally. That's the way the rule is supposed to work. How often does a player touch the puck when the player is like one foot on the bench or within one foot of the bench and not get called too many men, I would say relatively often in a game as chaotic as hockey. And also, is that penalty so important compared to everything else that the refs let go in that game? Both ways. Like, it was a very poorly officiated game overall. And I think the Lightning benefited more from that than Colorado because Colorado's power play has been absurd. So I just, I think you look back at the things that the Lightning have got away with over the last three years. And it's a tough sell for me that he's talking about his team being heartbroken because it's a travesty that the game ended that way. Like, do we not remember in the first round that the Lightning won a game because they, like, full-on interfered with Austin Matthews in the neutral zone and, like, pulled him down away from the puck? No, we don't remember that. Only I mean... the things that get done to the Lightning <laughs> are wrong. Anything the Lightning do... Are, like isn't wrong. <laughs> like far be it from me to agree with Leafs Nation, but like that know, series right? was not officiated equally. 
No, definitely <laughs> not. And like the Lightning not. are very good at working the refs. They did it all game this game as well. Sometimes legitimately, like when Hedman got hit, but at the same time, they never shut up. Hedman and Stamkos, after every shift, it's just yap, yap, yap in the ref's ear all the time. And that's fine if you want to pull that kind of gamesmanship and like it works. And because you're the back-to-back champions, I think and you get a good, little right? bit like more leeway. Yeah. 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 And like I think that there's something to be said for speaking to the refs respectfully as well, which it appears that the Lightning do. That does earn you something. But like, I don't know, man. I think you get way better officiating than most teams do. So complaining about one missed call in a overtime that, by the way, the lightning were decimated. Like Colorado ripped them to shreds in that overtime. It I mean, was it was crazy. only a matter of time, right? Yes. It didn't need to be that cadre goal. It was the cadre goal. And, you know, personally, I'm excited for him coming back and, and, and scoring a game winner. I just think that, you know, you're talking about how like they speak to the refs respectfully and stuff like that. Like if it was the Flyers in that situation, they wouldn't be getting those kinds of calls. And I think that, to be honest, sometimes I, I, I don't think that the officiating in general targets the Leafs in any way. Oh, no. I just think that when you are a team like Tampa Bay or when you are a team like Colorado, you kind of build a reputation when you're so good. You build that reputation where like... Really? Can anything you do be wrong? All that wrong? You know, it's usually the team that's trying to catch up with you that's making the mistakes and 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 um and committing infractions. So I think that there is like a lot of reputation, but there's a lot of gamesmanship and and much like we talk about when you know like that whole Tim Stutzla thing. As long as you're getting away with it, just keep doing it until somebody stops you, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You you, you use every possible advantage that you can have in the game, and I think this is where. The Maple Leafs, not to make it more about the Maple Leafs, but, you know, Maple Leafs content always, always goes. But this is where the Leafs, I think, lost that series. If you remember going to the playoffs, Kyle Dubas and uh, Sheldon Keefe, both of them, I don't know if Kyle Dubas did actually, it might have been just Sheldon Keefe, talked about how, like, oh, you know, this this series is going to be a war. It's going to be so physical. There's going to be blood everywhere. And then they had that thing before the playoffs where they're like, oh, yeah, we're publishing the referees. Uh, names and pictures in the dressing room before games so that the players know them and it's like it was kind of th- sold as we're helping our players respect the refs and like understand who they are as people but it was kind of, there's an undercurrent of like so we know who you are if you screw us over you know and it was like how many times are you going to challenge the refs to both call more things and also, like, not screw you over before the refs are going to, you know, take that personally and screw you over. And I feel like there was some element to that, just a little bit in that series, where the refs would ignore some things that the Lightning did and not ignore them for the Leafs. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the other thing, too, is that one of the things that the refs like to do is control the game, right? Mm-hmm. And not necessarily the way that they're supposed to, but more by inserting themselves into it. And and this is something that has been talked about a lot. But to me, just challenging them in any way, acknowledging them in any way is definitely dangerous. Because if you try to like, you know, placate them and say that they're doing a great job or they're there for a reason and you respect them and all of that, they're going to take that as you're trying to work them, right? 
And then if you challenge them in the way that coaches often do when they don't like a call or they don't like the, the, the lopsided sort of nature of the calls in a single game or a series, then you're going to make them angry. Like there's really no winning. You kind of just have to suck it up unless there's something so egregious that, you know, you, you get fined for talking about it. Yeah, you save your bullets for the for the important parts. All right, uh, heading into Game Five now, which goes the same day this podcast release on Friday, Jean Baptiste Day. Can the Lightning escape this game and get back home, or is Arturi Lekkinen going to win this one in overtime? Well, personally, as a Canadians fan and as a person who loves Arturi Lekkinen, I hope that for him. I wish that for him. I think it'd be really cool for him to do it, you know, in, in uh, on St. Jean-Baptiste Day, but also just to win the Stanley Cup. I think he has shown that he's one of those guys that you win with, and he's done so much to deserve that. I also would like to see, you know, somebody like Nazem Kadri lift the cup. But I think that the Tampa Bay Lightning... I don't think they're going to win this series. Obviously, it's 3-1. The chances are really low. I just, I never want to count them out. I that that That's how I kind of feel about them. And it's probably because we've watched them for two years and the Canadians lost to them miserably last year. I think, you know, to me, like somebody, somebody tweeted, I think it was Mike O'Brien tweeted, now the Lightning know what it's like to play the Lightning after game two. And I looked at that and I was like, can you imagine just being a team that is so, so good that you've railroaded everybody up until this point? And then just imagine being the team that's so, so good that you're embarrassing that team, right? Like, yeah. I think Colorado's just, like, they're just going to win. I mean, unless something goes egregiously wrong, I don't see anyone else winning this series. Yeah, I, I think the main uh, way that Colorado could you know, mess this up is if Darcy Kemper plays like he did in game three that or game one, you know, he's kind of been off and on in this series. Uh, I think he was pretty great in game four, but still had that one weak one that had been scored. I, I saw like last night when I did, we were doing game over cup final. Uh, there was like some comments being like, you know, Vasilevsky is good enough to, to change this series around. It's like, how much better can Vasilevsky be than last night? Than, than game four. I guess it wasn't last night when this releases, but he was so incredible in game four and it still wasn't enough. And I think that's that's kind of been the problem is that throughout the playoffs this year, Vasilevsky has had a couple of bad games. Bad for him, right? They're probably mediocre for anybody else, but they were terrible for him uh, by his standards. But at the end of the day, like he has a weak game or he has a weak couple of games he's always going to find it. Like, I still think that currently he is the best goaltender in the world. And I think that, you know, last year, I just remember, you know, there were moments when let's say the Canadians were playing or the Islanders were playing against Tampa. Even if the team looked beatable, Vasilevsky looked insurmountable. But at the same time, as you just said, he had a great game and he still wasn't able to win it for the Tampa Bay Lightning. And that to me is even more of a measure of how good the Colorado Avalanche are, how well constructed they are and how well coached they are being right now. Yeah, agreed. All right, we're going to move on from that. Uh, I think that uh, we we have set our, our things on uh, the Stanley Cup final. We're going to talk about the NHL awards like a bit rapid fire coming up next. But first, I got to tell you about our sponsors, Bet Online. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all betting needs and sports info. Find all the latest sports developments, league reviews, and news, including this year's NHL playoffs and Major League Baseball. 
Bet Online is your continued source for all sport wagering information, including live betting, esports, and scores. And BetOnline.net remains the best spot for all of your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. BetOnline.net is the fastest and easiest way to check in on all of your favorite sports and events, including MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action. BetOnline, where the game starts. We have an important favor to ask you. We've put together a survey so that we can learn more about our listeners, like yourself, and make your favorite Locked On podcasts even better. This is your opportunity to tell us what you like and don't like about Locked On podcasts. Go to LockedOnPodcast.com slash survey right now to get started. It won't take very long, and everyone that completes a survey can qualify for a chance to win one of 10 $100 Ticketmaster gift cards to take our audience survey, go to LockedOnPodcast.com slash survey. Thank you for your help. I don't know if you could tell, Laura, but I had to bite my tongue slightly when they asked what you don't like. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not going to edit that out because uh, I don't have to. <laughs> Laura and I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I All right. you know what I was sitting here with a halo above my head and then you just came and you shattered it. I was I've I've I'm got the devil horns out. <laughs> no comment. Anyway, uh the NHL awards happened on Wednesday night. Uh or no, Tuesday Tuesday, Tuesday night. Tuesday. It's been a couple days. I this has been a hard week for me to keep track of. And uh for the most part they went the way everyone expected them to. Uh, Austin Matthews wins the heart and Ted Lindsay and somehow Leafs fans are still upset because the Montreal media didn't vote him to be number one. And I find this extremely funny because Canadians fans were just mad at Montreal media for not voting Carey Price for the Masterton, except for Eric Engels in both cases. I know, right? And that was the thing is that like I, I saw that it was Eric Engels both times and I was like, is it like, are they going out to dinners without Eric and making this decision? <laughs> like... <laughs> He's the one being left behind. Yeah. Oh my God. So I think honestly, for me, uh, it just seems to me that the Montreal media, not necessarily just in the case of Austin Matthews, but Carrie Price, they might just not, not necessarily not have the finger on the pulse. Like that's not, not how it, I would put it. I think maybe prioritize different things. And you got to remember that Austin Matthews is one of the players that Montreal media has seen a lot of in the last few years, right? Like it was a lot of of Toronto, Montreal hockey. Um, And I think that, you know, maybe to them, somebody like Connor McDavid is like miles ahead, right? And I I personally think that the awards were deserved. Like Austin Matthews, for whatever his off-ice conduct is on ice, the way that he's played and what he's done for the Toronto Maple Leafs, I think it was deserving of the award, but I also know that like this is a very subjective award. Like you could just, you know, especially when it's somebody who's the most important to his team, for example, that's that's something where, you know, you kind of maybe you see somebody else having played more of a part for the team. And the thing to note, too, is that like the votes are due in before the playoffs start. So the fact that the Toronto Maple Leafs once again lost in the first round was not a factor in this decision. I just I find that they seemed a little bit different. And and one of the things that, um, you know, we brought up on our show when they didn't vote for Carey Price for the Masterton was that, you know, they in attempting to avoid the perception of bias, perhaps they might have gone too far the other way. 
And maybe the same thing happened with Austin Matthews. Uh, but I also think that maybe they just value different things. Like the argument that I made on our show was that maybe for them, you know, substance abuse isn't something that is as understood as for the other people that voted for Carrie Price. And that that's, you know, maybe maybe it's just a different perception. Maybe it's a different idea. Like we do sometimes feel here in Montreal or in Quebec, we do sometimes feel like we are different and society is a little bit different. And I don't necessarily think that, you know, it's, it's, it's the worst thing in the world if you vote with your opinion, right? Like maybe you just really hate Austin Matthews and you can still acknowledge that there were other players that were good or important to their teams. Like I just... I don't know that it's necessarily one of those things where it's like bias because the Montreal team doesn't, the, sorry, the Montreal media doesn't necessarily champion their own players, yeah, even if they're putting Austin Matthews down. Where I think the not being biased thing falls apart a little bit is the coincidental player who led the Montreal media in like terms of like their votings. If only if you only counted the Montreal media voting block, the winner same. of the heart would have been Huberto. Well, and see, it's I like, mean, that's a bias. That's, like, that's, that's a, a local clear, boy. That's a clear bias, though. Very right? clear bias. Okay, and yeah. I know that uh, Leafs fans were trying to say, like, oh, well, look at the Toronto media and the Edmonton media weren't as biased, but Toronto media voted nine out of ten first place votes for Austin Matthews. And Edmonton, out of their votes, voted almost entirely for Connor McDavid. So it's like, no, that that is still biased. Just because those players are great doesn't mean they're not biased right so then montreal just did the same thing it's just that that, you know we don't have an mvp candidate this year along (laughs) along language lines i think where maybe they're trying to get him to sign here (laughs) maybe i don't know uh but i think where it falls apart for me where like it goes from like uh opinion to just not having their finger on the pulse is stuff like one person in montreal left matthews off their ballot entirely uh that was four yeah four people left shesterkin off their ballot entirely that should be a bigger controversy, in my opinion. In, in like the highest scoring season in the last twenty five years, a guy sets Dominic Hasek level save percentage numbers. I just and got you goosebumps as you were talking him. about it. Right? It's yeah. it's stupid. He was so good this year, so ignoring him is wild. And like Roman Yossi, let's transfer. This is like the Roman Yossi stuff is also super confusing to me because it's one of those situations where you could argue that the whole most valuable to their team thing is influencing stuff. And Roman Yossi finished above Kale McCarr in heart trophy voting, which to me is ridiculous, but below him in Norris trophy voting, but above him in first place votes. And people are really upset about that award as well. It's the closest that award has been, I think since Subban won in 2013, might even be closer than that one. And, People are upset because they don't understand that this is the reason for a ranked ballot. First of all, it's not about who gets the most first place votes, but also the people who are championing Roman Yossi. How many of you are just looking at points? A hundred percent. Right. Because like Kale McCarr, no disrespect to Roman Yossi, who was a good player. He won the Norris. He did win the Norris before, but Roman Yossi isn't shutting down Connor McDavid in the playoffs like Kale McCarr did. Like, Kale McCarr is incredible defensively. Roman Yossi, for most of his career, has been bad and is now okay defensively. I think I think that's a big thing, is that part of it as well is 
people don't want to have that idea that Kale McCarr is like the hot thing this season, like all of a sudden. But, you know, he's been he's been promising even since he was drafted. I think yeah. maybe like if you redraft that, it'll go a little bit differently. But he's been so phenomenal. It's not just like a flavor of the month kind of thing. But I think people are just kind of like they have those these kinds of perceptions, particularly uh, in, in like milieus like this. I personally find that Kale McCarr, because there's so many highlights of him all the time. People might get that bias where it is like he's a one-trick pony. But like you said, he's much better defensively than Roman Yossi is, right? I think it's well-deserved. Uh, for me, like Roman Yossi, I think he deserved to be in the conversation. I just don't think that he did this year what Kale McCarr did. I think that is, to me, you're talking about an NHL award for one year, not an entire body of work, not improvement over time, not, you know, all of a sudden coming out of nowhere and being, you know, like it's one year. It's this year. It's not, you're not, you're not like with the Drew Doughty award, right? Like he was given a Norris trophy based on his prior body of work because he hadn't been in the conversation enough. Like I'm still salty about that. An NHL award for 2022 means 2021-2022, like that season. That's what we're talking about. And Kale McCarr, to me, was miles ahead. Yeah, he was. Uh, and honestly, I think Kale McCarr was robbed a little bit. I like Adam Fox as well. But last year, I think Kale McCarr should have won the Norris as well. This should be his second straight. I think so, so. I'm I'm glad that he won it. Uh, I, I think that he is going to be the defenseman in the NHL for the next decade or so that we measure everyone else against and that's the deciding factor for me atop all the other metrics is like who are we measuring against you know it used to be victor hedman used to be eric carlson it's going to be kale mccarr and frankly as much as i like roman yossi it's never been roman yossi as like he's the guy that we measure everyone else against it's not right right it was hedman before like up until this point and 100%. to me this year i still made the argument that victor hedman is the best defenseman in the league but i think you know i would have voted for hedman but i think that the right person won it yeah 100 percent. all right uh let's just go through some of the other awards because i feel like uh the only one left that's kind of controversial is the GM of the year, which we don't know who won yet, but can we just talk about how stupid this award is? Like, why is Chris Drury nominated? I what? honestly don't know. Oh, be maybe because he has to work for that owner. Like, <laughs> but like he's been there one year. Like, I think my my biggest issue with this is it seems like it's a it's awarded for one year's work when it should be like who's the GM of the last couple of years at least maybe five years and you can award it every year but it has to be like cumulative work because the gm's work isn't a single year thing right like lou lamorello won it the last two years in a row for basically hiring barry trotz and making a bunch of stupid decisions right and that's the thing that i like i find that the coach of the year award is often who was the best goalie that year yeah and the but GM it, like that one's gotten award. better yeah. Like the voting on that has gotten better and it's been replaced by this being the dumbest. Yeah. So like the GM uh, of the award. year is now who who the coach of the year should have been, right? Yeah. That that that's what I feel, but I I do like that idea and I think there should be a rule. Maybe not 5 years, but like, you know, since the tenure. And then if you've been around longer than 5 years, which is going to be very rare, then your last 5 years of work. Yeah, exactly. Like if Julian Breezewad doesn't win this year, what the hell are we doing here? 
-hmm. His team's in the third straight Stanley Cup final. Like, as much as I think Joe Sackick deserves it as well. He had a great year, let's be honest. He did. He did. 100%. How can Julian Brisebois not win any of the last three years? It makes no sense. I, like, I, yeah. I mean, I get it. Um, Maybe people are just scared of Lou Lamorello. Maybe. Maybe that's a thing. Because, like, I tried to look up who, who votes on it. So here's who votes on it. 31 general managers, or 32 now, I guess, five NHL executives. What does that even mean? And five media members. Like, what is that? I don't know. It's it's such a strange thing. It makes no sense. Like, five media members from where? Is it broadcasters? Is it writers? Is it the PWH or PH, the Professional Hockey Writers Association? PHWA. Do they change every year? Like, yeah, what is like that? you know, are the five NHL executives are those like Gary Bettman. other executives? <laughs> that, oh, are they from the NHL? That's so it's like Batman Daily. Yeah, whoever the that's, COO is, and that's a little sycophantic. I mean, creating this award and Batman's like, I get to vote on it myself, right? I also just kind of like, I mean, if you're Batman and you're sitting there, like the decision that you're making is very different than you're a guy who tried to, like, if you're a guy who tried to trade with this, this GM, right? You're voting yeah. for, like, if I'm Batman, I'm like, this person grew the game, right? Like grew the revenues or like, you know, the, you're looking at the bottom line, like increase in merch, ticket sales on all of that or broadcast rights or anything like that, right? That's what I'm looking at. If I'm a GM, I'm like, that guy fleeced me on a trade and I'm still bitter about it. Like, that's the kind of... You know, the, the philosophies are different. I feel like it does need to be on a body of work and it does need to have measurable things. Like, did your team go from the basement to to, to the Stanley Cup final with yeah. Colorado, right? Like that that to me is amazing. Or like, you know, with, with Tampa Bay, has your team consistently been good now dating back almost 10 years? Did you assemble a third line on the fly at the deadline for almost nothing after losing an entire third line in the offseason and you made it to the Stanley Cup final again? Yeah. <laughs> did you all season manage a salary cap that you had like $5 and somehow worked around injuries and illnesses to, to get to the end point. Like that stuff is impressive. Right. Like it should be a questionnaire. Like I fill out a questionnaire. Who did this the best? Right. Yeah. And like each thing has like a rating and then it gets to the end. It does the math for you. Exactly. Add it up. Have it be analytical, not just feelings because like you said, if somebody got you in a trade, I doubt Lou Lamorello is voting for Joe Sackick after that Devon Taves trade. <laughs> it's there just, you go. It's not happening. But... Three years from now, nobody's going to be voting for Ken Hughes. <laughs> oh, yeah. No kidding. Oh, my God. The Florida Panthers will never vote for Ken Hughes, which is a perfect segue to our next segment because we're going to talk about what on earth the Panthers are doing after having one of the biggest chokes in the playoff in the history of the playoffs, in my opinion. Uh but coming up next, we're gonna yeah, we're gonna talk about that. But first I gotta tell you about Built Bar. From the people who invented healthy and tasty comes the latest gift to your taste buds. You've probably tried the amazing coconut brownie chunk built bar. But guess what? Your friends at Built have given coconut brownie chunk the puffs treatment. That's right, coconut brownie chunk built bar flavor you love, and a delicious chewy marshmallow covered in hundred percent real chocolate. It's like a fluffy cloud of coconut brownie goodness. But stop drooling and listen. They're also good for you. Low calorie, low sugar, high protein, and all delicious. 
Coconut brownie chunk puffs are only here for a limited time. Go to Built.com now and make sure you don't miss out. They're going fast because they taste amazing. All Built Bars are made with collagen protein, which your body absorbs more efficiently and provides tons of health benefits. Eat something that tastes good and is good for you. The best part about Built Puffs is, of course, they taste amazing, but you can enjoy them guilt-free because they they are actually good for you and they're a perfect treat. Perfect when you've got a craving and you need to satisfy your sweet tooth, or if you need a quick, healthy snack and they're an excellent source of protein. Delicious, coconut, rich, sweet, chocolate, brownie, creamy, marshmallow. Stop fantasizing. Get to Built.com to order your box of coconut brownie chunk puffs right now. Go to Built.com and use promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off of your order. Use promo code LOCKED15 right now. All right, Laura. So the Florida Panthers had the best season of their franchise's history last year. Uh, a ton of players had career years. Andrew Brunette oversaw this, took over for Joel Quenville. I think it was like five or six games into the season. There was a potential for that great start that they were on to fall off with an inexperienced coach, but he kept them rolling the whole season long. And then clearly the Montreal Canadiens destroyed their confidence with that 10-goal win at the end of the year, and they fell flat in the playoffs, and they couldn't adjust, couldn't score, and couldn't beat the Lightning without Braden Point, got swept in absolutely embarrassing fashion. They were put up against the ropes, really, by the Washington Capitals, who were, in my opinion, one of the worst teams in the playoffs, and the Florida Panthers should have destroyed them easily. Now, I understand putting some of that blame on the inexperienced coach, but going out and hiring the losingest coach in NHL history in Paul Maurice, to me, is a bit of a red flag. I didn't realize he was the losingest coach. He is I... the losingest coach in the history of the league. Okay, here's what I do if I'm the GM in that situation. I have an interim head coach, and it's not the first time that an interim head coach has not been asked back, but usually it's because he failed. Um, I think that, you know, if I'm a GM, I sit down and I look, all right, what was the problem with this team, right? Like, what was wrong with it? Sometimes they're a paper tiger. Sometimes they're good defensively, not, not enough offense. Sometimes there's just not enough talent. You kind of have to accumulate them. Sometimes it's a goaltending problem. I think with the Florida Panthers... There were a lot of things that went wrong at the wrong time is all, right? They didn't have adversity as we talk about it. There was no slump in the season. They just kept rolling over everybody. And I think that what happened was that it's not necessarily just an inexperienced coach, but it's also an inexperienced team because a lot of other teams, I think, kind of they have that like January, February sort of slowdown or maybe even just before the playoffs once they've made it, they're kind of resting people. And they never paused until they they were just too tired. Like they were mentally tired. They were physically tired. They just couldn't get it together. I don't necessarily think that it's a good sign that um, they had no strategy changes really in that Tampa series. Uh, that, that was to me a huge red flag. But at the same time, you look at their play in, in the regular season. That is, let's say Joel Quenville, was it five or six games? I can't remember. It was definitely... Um, very, very early, right? So let's say 75 games, right? Like, let's say you have 75 games and then in the playoffs, how many did you play? You played seven plus four. I don't even know. That's 11 games. Um, I'm trying to remember how many games they had against Washington. I know it was four games against Tampa, but I'm pretty six. sure it was, it was six games. All right. So 10 games, right? You're taking 75 games worth of good play and then comparing it to 10 games against better teams. First of all, teams that are 
geared up to the playoffs. They're preparing to beat you, one of whom ended up in the Stanley Cup final after two Stanley Cup runs, two Stanley Cup wins. I just think that that's poor decision making. Like that sample size to me just doesn't make sense, right? So all other things, if you take all other things out of the equation, that that math there doesn't add up to me. And so that's one. But two, the person you chose. Like if I am telling my interim head coach, sorry, we're not asking you back. It better be for one of the best coaches in hockey history, right? Or something completely new. Or let's say you want to go with a rookie coach. You want to bring somebody over from Europe. You want to hire a woman for the first time. Whatever it is, you want to change directions drastically. That's fine too. You move away a hockey guy and you bring in somebody a little bit new. That's that, that's understandable. But to bring back somebody who I can't even... Like Paul Maurice, Like you know what I associate with him? Is longevity. I don't even associate losing with yeah. him. That's like, if I look at him, I'm like, longevity. Like, that's the only thing I can really reasonably assess with Paul Maurice. Like, go with somebody new, do something else. Or I personally think he deserved another shot. Maybe don't give him a three year extension. Maybe give him a one year. Maybe see how it works out, you know? And the worst part is for Florida is that they're up against the cap right now. There's so many people they need to re sign. They're going to lose a lot of the players that made them what they were this regular season. So it's not going to get better with Paul Maurice. And the worst part, I just said the worst part. Let's say one of the other worst <laughs> parts of this is, you know, Paul Maurice in Winnipeg had one of the best goaltenders in the league at the time. Now, he doesn't have that in Florida. No. And that's the other thing is, like, Sergei Bobrovsky cannot be relied upon to have back-to-back good seasons. In fact, he usually follows a great season with an abysmal blow-up season. So that's another red flag for the Florida Panthers next year. Now, Paul Maurice also likes to overplay his number one goaltender. We saw it with Connor Hellebuck in Winnipeg. Where you're, he's the only guy in the league left who was playing like 70 games a year. So that worries me a little bit for the Florida Panthers. Also, I understand not wanting to go with an inexperienced head coach for this year because it's the last year where Huberto is cheap, right? Next year, 2023-2024, a lot of their players are up for contract that are going to get a lot more difficult to keep in that that mold, right? So they need to go all in this year, but you're going all in with a guy who's never won, has missed the playoffs more than he's made the playoffs. Like he's been coaching since 1995 in the NHL. Most of that coaching has been not making the playoffs. Like he had, he had a streak with Winnipeg, which really should have ended two years ago. But the Jets kind of like luck their way into the playoffs in a weak Western conference. I like the Florida Panthers overall lineup, but I don't think they are so great considering how many players had career years this year to be immune to the idea of a few players falling off, a few players getting injured, a coach that doesn't uh, bring a style to the table that is great for that roster and a goaltender falling apart, I don't think they can survive those ma- that many things going wrong if they do go wrong and still make the playoffs next year. Like they, They're not an impenetrable force like the Lightning where they can lose Nikita Kucherov for a whole season and be like, well, we'll, we'll just win anyway. You know, <laughs> that, that worries me for them, but from the Canadians' perspective, 
Kent Hughes must be licking his chops right now with that unprotected first round pick. Because if the Panthers miss the playoffs, that becomes a huge asset, whether it's to move up in the draft or whether it's in a lottery, no matter what, that pick being outside of the playoff picture is actually possible. I would only put it at like 20%, but it is a possibility. Like things can go wrong. More things can go wrong, right? Like we just talked about the cap crunch, right? They're going to lose their rentals for sure. I don't think that they'll they'll have the money to re-sign them. I, I don't think they might even want to. Um, or the, the players might not want to stay. And then, you know, you're talking about the pressure of trying to have to win before, before Huberto's contract is up. Look at the Bobrovsky factor. Even Spencer Knight, who has been great, but is is unproven to me like that the word that i would describe about him is unproven he's just he's too early in his career for us to know all like they just need one key injury and they can miss the playoffs or one guy to have a really bad season which is not unheard of in the nhl so to me i'm not i'm not sitting here going the canadians are getting you know another lottery pick but it's a possibility and if i'm kent hughes i hold on to it up until the playoff picture is determined and then you know you're going to get a lot for it and and you you know it's it's a risk because florida might end up making the playoffs and then you're back in the 20s or whatever but that's still a pick that up until it's clear that isn't it, it's not going to be very high i wouldn't trade oh yeah, yeah. i think if, if anything even if it starts getting higher and higher you don't trade it because until you're at the draft, then you know how far you can move up. Like the Canadians are in a position right now where they're probably still going to be a bottom 10 team next year, but they're probably not going to be bottom five. So if Florida implodes and misses, can you turn those two picks that are outside the top five into a top five or even top three pick? If you add other assets and then you jump into that, like that range of getting Bedard, Mitchkov or oh man, uh, Fantilli, three potential franchise players that could change the fortune of the Montreal Canadiens for a very long time. That's super interesting to me. And also something I didn't even realize, the Keith Yandel buyout for the Florida Panthers hits hard next year. $5.4 million against the cap. As it stands right now, the Florida Panthers have $6 million in cap space. And they have to sign Mason Marchment, who I assume they really want to sign. They've got RF, RFAs in Lustreinen, uh, Lucas Carlson. I don't think he really played last year. Like they've got big time roster spots to fill. They only have, let's see here, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine uh, forwards signed right now. So that's, they, they've got spots to fill. They don't have a lot of cap space, they don't have a lot to work around, and it gets tougher next year. They're not in as great of a situation as I think a lot of Florida Panthers fans want to believe. That's yeah, I agree that with that too. Like I don't think I think it's wishful thinking on the part of Canadians fans to think that they're going to be so bad that it's going to be like another like true lottery pick, let's say top yeah, 5. Yeah, no, no. Yeah, it's not going to be think- they're not going to fall to the bottom of the league, but I the the East is so tight that I could see especially with Boston falling off with uh, Bergeron maybe moving on, Marchand missing half the year, McAvoy missing half the year, there's a possibility that only three teams from the Atlantic make it next year. And Montreal should be better. Not great, but better. 
I mean, Montreal could be 20 points better next year and still still be be, like seventh worst in the league, right? Uh, Detroit should definitely be better as the more prospects make it. Buffalo should be better. And as much as it's annoying, Ottawa should also be better. (laughs) I think so. I, I, I agree. And so for me, it's not it's not a guarantee, but I think it's just interesting because now the Canadians have something that is way more valuable than we would have thought maybe two months ago. When the when the trade happened, three hundred percent. It's it's gone from a hey, that's a pretty good little thing for Ben Sherratt to oh my god, they got that for Ben Sherratt. So it's a nice little tip of the cap to Kent Hughes for his negotiations at and trade deadline work. Perhaps a future uh, GM of the year candidate <laughs> when they vote for it properly. All right, uh, we'll wrap that there. We're gonna talk about our pop culture segment coming up next. But first, I got to tell you about Rock Auto. Because this episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. With the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models, it's now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts that you need. Why endure often pointless or seemingly intimidating questioning and wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer, choosing only the brand their warehouse happens to carry? You have computers with access to rockauto.com at home and in your pocket. I actually ordered a, a windshield washer fluid pump from Rock Auto several months ago. Because mine on my car broke. And then it was tire changing season in Montreal. And nowhere would book in anything other than tire changes in garages. And I was like, oh, I'll just do it myself. And I looked up how to do it. And I I could not do it myself. I did not have the... So I finally got it done this week. And it was very nice to be able to clean the windows without having to stop and spray it down with something. So thanks to Rock Auto for sending me that part. It only took like two months to finally fix it. But go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck right locked on in their How Did You Hear About Us box so that they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts that your car will ever need. rockauto.com So, uh, Laura, I don't know what you've been entertaining yourself with in recent weeks, but uh, I have to say that if you haven't been watching it, I highly suggest that you check out Miss Marvel. I knew you were going to say that because I was just listening to the last episode. Um, I didn't realize that there was still like 10 minutes left and it was a pop culture segment. And I I knew exactly what you were going to say. I'm very excited to watch it. But my pop culture thing this week is a book. So I'll let you go first. Okay. And and then I'll talk about what I've been reading lately. All right. I I mean, basically, I don't want to spoil anything, but I will say the same thing that I said last week. It is a show that the whole time I'm watching it, I'm smiling. It's wholesome. It's just great. I think that if you like just talking to people who are in the community, they really nail the the culture and the the immigrant family dynamic. Every character in it has their time to shine, which is really great. Uh, her parents, like the first episode, her mom is very much like the strict immigrant parent. And then as time goes on, you learn more about her and learn more about her personality. And she's very much not a trope. Her dad is amazing. Her brother is amazing, even though he, he's like kind of like dumb and clueless and falls for everything. They play it off really well. It's, it's just great. It's, it's really great. I think that you'll really love it. I'm very, very excited to watch. And that's the thing I think with Marvel shows is that a lot of times people are getting something that they weren't expecting from, you know, the series. And sometimes I, I see it talked about negatively, but I, I'm like on the exact opposite spectrum of that. You know, I loved WandaVision, for example, even though it was something a little different. 
And it's the same thing with with Miss Marvel. I know I'm gonna I'm gonna love it because it's something a little bit different. And I like the th- that's the thing that I love about this latest crop of the shows is that there there's so many different aspects of it. There's so many different things. Some of them are a little bit more serious. A lot of them are you know a little bit more lighthearted. Some of them are um, you know intense in terms of like the superhero sequences that we're used to or the fight sequences and things like that like they explore so many themes and so I love that there's something for everybody in the MCU now and and you know and that's the thing it's like some people are like oh I'm, I'm getting overloaded uh, I, I'm, I'm ODing on the Star Wars or the MCU all of that stuff and I'm just like no give me more give me yeah, more <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm, I'm there too and the thing is like you don't have to be watching everything as it comes out right like there's definitely spoilers and stuff but if you're not super connected to watching everything when it comes out or like watching YouTube videos about stuff or scrolling through Instagram feeds or TikTok about the content creators who cover that stuff, the spoilers are probably not going to hit you over the head as much as like Star Wars, which is like in your face all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Marvel, you can kind of get away from it a little bit. I think you can enjoy it at your own pace. And like, yeah, there's a lot, but you could also probably pick and choose stuff too. And like, if you don't want to watch something, you can ask somebody who has watched it to be like, just give me the necessary information to enjoy this next thing that that character is involved in. And right. you'll probably be fine. It's not as much as there's interconnectedness with Marvel. I don't think it's to the point where you can't jump in where you want to. I agree. And that's the thing. That's what I've been doing really. And uh, cause I, I also have this thing where I'm impatient for the next episode all the time. So I'll wait until an entire series comes out. And, and sometimes it'll just be one of those things where it's like, okay, I'll save it for when I'm having a bad day because everybody enjoyed it. Everybody really enjoyed this. So I know it'll be a treat for me and I'll just save it and I'll watch all of the episodes on like either a rainy Saturday or like over a couple of days when I'm having a rough time, uh, things like that. So I do tend to, that's how I tend to consume my MCU stuff other than the movies that I really do think need to be seen on the big screen. Um, I just, I, and I find that I never lose my enjoyment of it. I always... I'm always able to lose myself in it. I think that's that's key. Yeah, a hundred percent. There, it's just something that's really fun, you know. And it's something that is an advantage today that we didn't have growing up, where you have to like go out and rent something, and you might not be able to find it. Now everything's at our fingertips. Kids these days have no idea how good they've got it, Laura. But mm-hmm. uh, what you're reading? I am reading. So one of the things that I have discovered about myself is that. I need my books to be page turners now, uh, unless I'm on holiday. Like if I'm away and I'm at the beach or sitting in, you know, at my parents' house, I can watch, I can read something slow paced. But if not, I need thrillers. I love thrillers. So I've read a couple. And so this, like the ones that I'm recommending, they're all from the same author. They come with mixed reviews because it does seem like the author's writing it um, to be movie, to be made into a movie. You know, there's some of that. Um, And so, but I find that they're really good page turners with really good toys. And so the the author's called Riley Sager. That's a pseudonym. I don't know what his real name is. Um, the first book that I read was Final Girls. The next book that I read was The Last Time I Lied. And then the latest book that I read was Lock Every Door. And now I'm actually about to start Home Before Dark. Um, if you like thrillers that are kind of horror but not with gore, just like that sort of that psychological sort of um, thrill that that like it keeps you and there's like a little bit of a shock or at, at the end of a chapter things like that like I find that these books go really fast um, and the twist is always entertaining some of them I, I think I think I wasn't able to see them coming to be honest I wasn't able to see them coming up until 
um, the author. And usually I am able to set it, to see where the twist is uh, pretty early on in the book. So I thought that, you know, I would recommend that if you're looking for, you know, people are starting to go on summer vacations and stuff. It's a great beach read, uh, picnic read, uh, park read. I've been reading them in parks. I'm trying not to read them alone at home because then I'm having trouble sleeping after. <laughs> but uh, it's definitely, definitely books I recommend if you want, like, if you want entertainment, if you like thrillers right. and you want entertainment. If you're looking for, like, you know, highbrow literature, these are not it. Yeah, I mean... There's a there's a time and place for highbrow literature, but also like we need some escapism. Yeah. You know, it, it's the same thing with like the MCU. Nobody's going to Marvel movies expecting the next best picture of the year award, right? As much as I think they do get dogged on a little bit too much for being like purely escapism. Like I don't hear anybody talking about minions ruining the film industry even though like minions 73 is coming out shortly <laughs> like who needs more friggin' minions movies but yeah anyway the point is escapism is good we need some escapism um laura were you one of the people who i talked to that like couldn't watch the fall alone did you watch no, the fall? i did watch the fall i did watch it alone i did i was able to watch it but i did regret it <laughs> yeah that that show, like what you were talking about, like, uh, you know, not sleeping very well after I, I, I know a lot of women who watch that show and were like, yep, I'm not I'm not sleeping tonight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, and I kept very watching it. That was the thing is I kept watching it. Even it's a though, great show. Yeah, it's just very creepy. It is very creepy, especially if you're a woman. And yes. a brunette woman at that. <laughs> yes, 100%. All right. Uh, that's all we have for you today on the Crosscheck NHL show. Thanks so much to Laura Saba from Locked On Canadians for joining us today. And if, you know, thanks for making us your first listen every Tuesday and Friday. But hey, make your next listen. Locked On Canadians. Have some more Laura. Have some more Scott in your life. Check them out on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. They're fantastic. And uh, the Canadians are a team on the rise because how could you not be if you finish 32nd and have the worst <laughs> season in franchise history when you've been around since 1909? So There's nowhere that. to go but up. <laughs> There's nowhere to go but up. All right. Uh, we'll see you again next week when Mary returns. And uh, one last thank you to Laura for coming on. She is fantastic. Anytime. <laughs>